This morning, as I lead us in prayer, um, today is January 22nd, which is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, which made it legal in this country uh, for an abortion to be formed. And we stand for the sanctity of human life uh, unashamedly. And so today, I, I'm not giving a message to that, but I would like to pray this morning. Um, as, I, as I think about this and as I've processed this through the years, it, it just it, there's a lot of sadness as I think about this day. Um, I'm sad for the lives that have been lost, and I don't want us to lose that with the passing of time, the, the impact of that and what it means. But I was also, also began to, to think broader than that, and I've thought about all the women that have been impacted by that. For every life that's been lost, there's a, there was a woman that had that abortion. And the, the, the pain, the loss, sometimes regret, um, the awareness sometimes later of, of, of what they've done. And I'm not naive enough to think that that's just for people outside of the church. That happens in the church too. And I want to say, and I, I want to offer the, the hope and the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God for all sin. And, and um, because some of you may still need to embrace that and find that. And then there's men, there's fathers. For each of those children, there was, there was a father. And, and there are men who encourage their wives to have abortions and regret that now. And there's men who were helpless to stop their wife or girl from having a divorce, uh, an abortion, and they regret that. And then there's abortion providers that now may realize what they've done. And then there's the ripple effect of family and friends and, and all of us who are connected to those folks. And so, again, I, I start with sadness, but I want to offer the hope and the love and the grace of God that we embrace for all our sin and not somehow make this into a special class of sin. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I, I'm sobered every time I, I think of the impact of this Supreme Court decision back in 1973, um, and I'm saddened, and yet, Lord, I, I, I don't want to just succumb to that, and, and, and in there, I want to offer, and I want to, I, I believe that you offer light and love and hope and forgiveness so, Lord, I just pray for anybody who falls in any of these categories I was talking about today or maybe another one that I didn't think of, that, that Lord, even in this time right now, they would look to you and embrace you and, and maybe they've carried guilt and shame around that they could not resolve. And I just want to tell you that in the name of Jesus this morning, he is bigger. He is bigger than all your sin. You build a box for all your sin, and God's box is bigger still. Of his grace and his love, and he promises us that he will move, remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And so, I pray today that if you need to embrace that, that you would. And if you know people who need to embrace it, that you would help them. Oh Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness 
without measure to us. We thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, well, never mind. We're going to read this off the screen. Don't even bother to turn. How about that? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, our text for this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is God's word to us. It's inspired and without error. May it bless us as we take it into our hearts. Well, last week, which brings me to a topic. You know, we canceled church last week. Did y'all get that note? Uh, the, the ice storm that wasn't. And, and that, uh, that was the first time, the first time I've ever canceled a, a Sunday morning worship service since I've been here, which is 22 and a half years. So, uh, I, and I've, I've said from up here before that I don't ever cancel, and I did. And I, I want to apologize to you who maybe just ignored everything and just showed up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. You know who you are uh, because you didn't know that we were going to cancel because Pastor Al says he never cancels because he's got a four-wheel drive truck. He lives in town. He can always get here. And I've changed. I'm just telling you. And let me tell you why I changed. The reason I changed is this. It's because some of you. Because I realize I can get here and I can have church. But let me tell you who can't get here. There are other people who can't get here. But if I come, that puts pressure on everybody who works in the nursery, everybody who provides worship, everybody who works in the coffee room, all my ushers and all. So de facto, when I make a decision to say that I can be here so we're going to have church, that means the rest of you, a number of the rest of you, a lot of you, 50, 75 people, are impacted by that. And I'm basically saying you've got to be here too. And I'm not sure that's always fair. And so, new paradigm, as, I, as we, we have forecast water, and I, I hope we go for another 22 years without canceling Sunday morning church. Uh, but in light of the inch of ice or half inch of ice or whatever is forecast, you know, that, the parking lot out there would have been a skating rink. I mean, you literally, I, I don't know how you would have walked across it. I've seen it like that before. So, there you go. All right, back, come back, come back. I talked about from uh, our series is fears everywhere, feed your faith. I talked about your fears, and we confront those with our faith. And faith says this, three things. God is in control. God keeps his promises. Nothing and no one can thwart God's plans. I believe that. And we stand there. So we're moving on to feeding your faith, and this is our annual emphasis on the six habits, the six disciplines, the six efforts that we make to move us forward. To, to set us up today, I want to draw from a talk that I heard at the Global Leadership Summit last summer that a number of you went to from Chris McChesney, who's an executive with Franklin Covey. And he's written a book, it's called The Four Disciplines of Execution. The Four Disciplines of Execution. And, and his thought is this, is that a lot of us who are in leadership positions, whether it's in the business world or in the academic world or the church world or whatever, we have a big goal. We have a, we have a, a strategy out there that we want to do, achieve something out there. If you're, if you're in the business world, it may, be a, uh, it may be a number of sales, it may be a bottom line figure in school, it may be it's enrollment, 
whatever, it's, whatever field you're in, there's, there's some big goal out there that we want to reach. Where we fall down, where all of us fall down, are those incremental steps of execution that are necessary to get to the goal. This is very intuitive, very intuitive. And, and so in the talk, and in his book, he talks about the four steps of execution. And I want to talk about the first two just briefly today because they're germane to this whole idea of six disciplines, six habits, six things that move us along in our faith. The first is this, focus on your wig, your wildly important goal. What is your wildly important goal for 2017? Well, I think if you're a follower of Christ, it, there, the, big, the big overarching goal ought to be something like this, to, to grow in my relationship with God, to grow in my walk with Christ, to be closer to Christ, to be more conformed to His image, or as our text said this morning, to be transformed in the renewing of our minds so that I think more like the way I ought to think and I make the decisions I ought to think. That is the wildly important goal. How are you going to get there? It's nice to have that as a goal, which brings us to the second step, which is focus on the lead measures. Now, hang with me here. I'm going to define a couple terms, and this is important. The lead measure. The lag measure, what lags at the end, is going to be the wig, the finish line, the goal, the big thing. The lead measures are the steps that you take to get there. Now, I'm going to straight this, and it'll be perfectly clear to you, okay? Uh, I have a friend who, uh, who ran a marathon in, in Florida a few weeks ago. And, and he went down there and he ran it and he completed it. And he didn't do that by saying, my lag measure is to run a marathon in Florida. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think a lot about that. Think, yeah, I think I, I want to do that. I'm going I'm to think about that. And I'm going to sit on the couch and watch television and, and eat chips and dip. And I'll, No, 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 no. No, he had a plan. He had a, a, an execution. If, and if any of you run marathons, I, I haven't done this, but... I know some of you have, and you have a strategy. I mean, leading up to that, like one week you're running this many miles, and the next week you're going to do this, and then you're going to have a big run on Saturday or whatever. You have steps of execution to get you there, or you don't get to the lag measure if you don't. You don't get to the marathon. You can't just say, I'm going to go run a marathon. I mean, a lot of us that don't run, you know, let's go run 26 miles. Sure. If you do, you'll be like that first guy that did it, and he died when he finished, didn't he? The real guy that ran the marathon? I think he got through running it and delivered the measure there and fell over dead or something. Anyway, I didn't look that up. I just, that's something dim. That's dim, dim in the back of my mind. I might be entirely wrong. But there's, no, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. Some of you may know where I was going. But anyway, uh, the other thing is if you want to lose weight, like everybody has a New Year's goal, a lot of times people say, well, I want to lose weight. I want to lose weight. I'm going to class reunion in, in June, and I need to lose 20 pounds. And so you sit around thinking about losing 20 pounds. Like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm just going to do it. And I think about it. I think it'd be nice. Can I get a second helping? I mean, you know. You know what you do? You think, okay, you, you know this. You've got to have fewer calories, or you've got to burn more calories. Somehow, your caloric intake's got to be less than what you expend. And you can do that two ways. You can diminish, did you know this? You can diminish the, <laughs> you did. You can diminish the number of calories you're taking in, or you can burn more, and preferably you do both of those. Those are lead measures. 
Those are lead measures that get you to that goal of losing 20 pounds by June 15th for your class reunion because you want to show off <laughs> so I can lose weight. Anyway, so you can be there and people recognize you. Anyway, um, that's it. So what I'm talking about, when I think about these six habits that we're, we're doing, that we have here, I, I'm thinking in these terms that these are lead measures. If the lag measure is to be conformed to the image of Christ, are there some steps of execution that we take that move us in that direction? I think there are. And I think I'm going to argue from the Bible that there are steps that we can take. Now let me give you a quick disclaimer, run through this. Number one, not everyone who does this, these six is more Christ-like, but most of the Christ-like people I know practice these disciplines. Classic example, you know somebody's in church every Sunday and they live like the devil all week. Don't, I mean, everybody, all of us know somebody likes that. You know, there's, there's, you know, and so that's one of the disciplines I'm talking about is being in church on a regular basis, being here week after week. We know people are in church every, you know, and it doesn't, hadn't made any difference in their lives. So it's no guarantee. But I will say, not everyone who does these is most Christ-like, but most of the Christ-like people I know practice these. Number two, the discipline is not the end. The end is to be more like Jesus. The goal line is to be transformed to the image of Christ. For God to chip away everything in us that doesn't look like Him. That's the end goal, not the discipline. So don't make the discipline into the goal. Like, yeah, I went to church, I'm good. Uh, going to church is to move you somewhere toward that lag goal. And number three, and this is important, they are not works to earn God's approval. And I want to camp on this for just a moment. You know, we believe in grace. We believe that you don't work your way to heaven, that it's not about putting enough good works on the scale so that God says you're good. Um, because the fact of the matter is we can't do that because if we're basing it on our works, we're always going to fall short. And it says at the end of the book of Revelation that no one or nothing imperfect is going to enter into heaven. And so if I'm depending on my works, even if I'm getting my works right 99% of the time, if I've just got 1% that's out of kilter or things that I don't do or should do or whatever, grace says, grace says that I can't get there but that Jesus was perfect, and because his righteousness gets put to me when I put my faith in him, that when God sees me on that level, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And my standing with a holy and a pure and a just God is perfect in that sense. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not accountable for my works and all that, but my standing as a son of God or a daughter of God is, not, is secure because of that. So, if you put your faith in Christ, the verdict's already in. It's already done. We stand forgiven and adopted into God's family, and you can stand on that. So if you're still working your way to heaven, I've got bad news for you. You can't. But I've got better news for you. The price has already been paid when Jesus died. That is the better news. So grace, unmerited favor, undeserved blessing. It's very important to understand that because grace makes all the difference for us in getting into a right relationship with God. It's the grace of God that he has shown to us. Now, so if we're doing that, why should I work for God if, if I'm saved by grace? Well, I read this a couple weeks ago. Somebody wrote this. They say, grace stands opposed to earning, but not to effort. Okay. Grace stands opposed to earning, but not to effort. And so in the Bible, 
we, it, does, it says you can't earn your way to heaven. You're, you, you have to, you're saved by faith alone in Christ plus nothing. But it, the Bible does talk about us putting forth an effort. Let me give you some verses. Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's effort going forth. 1 Timothy 6 says it this way, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That sounds like effort, doesn't it? Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you recall when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So I don't think that grace means that we don't put forth effort. So I want to talk about three habits today that are important and you can jot these down also there's a um, there's a little uh, bookmarker in your bulletin today or you can put this on your refrigerator it's got all six of the disciplines the habits uh, that, that I'm going to talk about I'm talking about three today and I'm going to talk about three next week so come back next week for that um, and I want to talk about and these are kind of like the three legs of the stool that I talk about sometimes that we all need to have part as far as as part of our worship one is that one leg of the stool is big church worship, what you're doing right now. The other leg is uh, small church, or little church, which is your small group, your community. And the third leg of the stool is your own personal church, your own worship, your own worship with God, your devotions that you have with God. And I'm going to talk about these today. So let's start with the first one is weekly community worship. That's what you're doing right now coming here, being a part of the body of Christ, the whole group of us coming together. And our proof text for this is found in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And don't forsake meeting together. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons in just a minute why, why you need to go to church, why you need to be here every Sunday. But the first thing, I want, I want to address something, and that is the whole movement in our culture in the last 50 years toward all of these extracurricular activities that compete with us for Sundays. And I'm not going to be a legalist up here and say, oh, you should never, ever do anything else, ever, ever on Sunday but be in church. But let me just say this. I think it ought to be the exception rather than the rule. And I think it ought to be rare, and I'll tell you why. Because it's very simple. God is our first love. We are called to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we need to make that conscious effort that we put Him first in our lives. And this is one way we do it. And this is one way you communicate to other people around you that God is first and God is important to you. Your neighbors, your friends, and especially your children. And let me just tell you, if you raise children and they see that every Sunday it seems like something comes in the way of going to church, they're going to learn what? They're going to learn that going to church is not very important. Gathering with God's people is not important. It's secondary to everything else. We'll go if it's convenient. There's three reasons you need to be here. One is that there's something powerful about the body of Christ being together, about us singing together, about us hearing the Word of God together and interacting with each other. The second reason you need to be here is you're going to hear something different than what you get during the week in your own personal worship. 
Because you can get my perspective or somebody else who's speaking perspective or a Sunday school ass perspective. You're going to get something. And listen, all of us have blind spots. That's why people who stay by themselves all the time become really weird. Okay, I'm just saying, if you know, people that are hermits and all, they get really weird. You know why? Because they just have themselves and their thinking. And what happens when we think by ourselves is we inflate things that don't need to be inflated and we deflate things that don't need to be deflated. We put priorities on things that, because we don't have anybody to counter. You know, husbands, you understand this. You've had a great idea until you tell it to your wife and she looks at you like you're crazy. And vice versa, sometimes. But, but we need each other to bring that, pers- we need other people to bring perspective. And, and I'll say sometimes, I'll get all fired up and I'll say, I'm thinking about, and my wife say, really? And I went, well, maybe not. Let me rethink that. I mean, isn't that the case? Don't we, we need other people to help us see blind spots. And the third reason was in the verse that we have. We come and said, let us encourage one another. You have a responsibility to come to church to encourage other people. It's not just about you. Now, sometimes you're the one that needs encouraging, and you really need to be here then so somebody can be that person that comes alongside you and encourages you. It's really, it's really important. It keeps us focused in the whirlwind of life. Okay, second discipline is, is daily personal worship. George McDonald said it this way. I use this quote, I think, every year when I talk about this because it's so good. Where every day is not the Lord's, the Sunday is the least of all. Um, you, can't, you can't leave God out of your life for six days of the week and then come here for an hour on Sunday and that, think that somehow we're going we're gonna to get you up to speed where God's going to be important to you and in first place. It's got to be your life. It's got to be all through the week. Um, daily personal worship should be, preferably, it's an event. It's a, an event that bleeds over in our whole life. In other words, you spend 15 minutes with God or 30 minutes with God, whatever you can carve out, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. You carve out that time, but it's not like, well, I've done that, and now I, I forget all about it. No, it, it's overflowing. It's kind of like having, I, I liken it to you have a conversation with God on your phone, and then you don't hang up. And you carry your phone with you and you listen. You, kinda, you try to live with an eye to this earth and an eye to heaven at the same time. And all that bleeds into what we do. Um, so you can call it devotions, you can call it a quiet time, you can call it Bible study. It's any time you carve out to be alone and quiet before God. Silence and solitude are important. In the Psalms it says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation. And the two non-negotiable pieces to this, I think, are the Word of God and prayer. We, we come, we get the, the Word of God, which gives us directions and guidance for our life, and then we pray. And prayer, I think, is, is talking to God and listening for His prompts in our spirit. So I, I think it works better if you do it at the same place, at the same time, uh, use whatever age you need, the Bible. If a, There's some devotional books written by godly people with the spiritual gift of teaching that are, are helpful, and I know some of you use some of those. Scripture memory is good. Singing, journaling, prayers to God. I do that regularly. 
uh, some of those are, are really good things. So Jordan Young's going to come up this morning. He's going to share with us some about his quiet time experience last year. So come on up. A lot of our folks don't know you, so tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been at 12th Avenue. Yay. Um, I also coach boys basketball, so um, Yay. I'm very involved in coach, coaching, so I love uh, coaching more, more than teaching probably because I don't have to deal with um, wet pants sometimes. So I love coaching because it's a lot more relaxing and I love basketball, but also love teaching. Um, as far as being a Christian, I, don't, I accepted Christ in my life maybe when I was about four years old, maybe five years old, and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I've kind of built a relationship over the past five years, and it's been a struggle, but it's been a real, um, I guess, eye-opening experience to see, actually open my eyes and see God work in my life and just take a step back and see what he's actually been doing for me. So I've been actually in a relationship, you know, more so about five years. So I've been talking about personal worship. Uh, tell me about when does that happen for you and how do you, how do you stay consistent with that? Yeah. So tell 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 them about that. How was reading through the Bible for you? What were you, you have any big takeaways from that? I'm curious. Um. Sure. So, so, so you're a teacher and a coach. So I'm guessing you're a busy fella. Pretty busy. Pretty busy. So, what would you say out here to these people? Because some of these people are busy too. So, what would you say to them that some people that struggle to be consistent with a daily time with God? more so just being occupied 
So we have a choice to take a step back and say, God, you get this time, or God, I'll give you you know a minute of my day, five minutes of my day. I'm going to read a book for 30 seconds even, and something might step out to you. And, and that's kind of been something I've been really working with. And being thankful, I think, is the biggest thing. Um, if I tell a little story real quick, um, being a coach, uh, we get some nasty jerseys sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so amazing to take a step back and just see, like, it is him. And I think if I was not a believer, I'd just be like, oh, sweet, you know, like, cutting the laundry. But being a believer and taking a step back and just being thankful for those things, it's, you know, it's such a busy, crazy world that we live in. Yeah. It's just something awesome to me. All right. Very good. So you run it through that grid. When you start running it through the grid, you start seeing God everywhere, don't you? Exactly. Very good. Thank you, Jordan. Give him a hand. Okay, some girls quit wearing makeup when you play basketball. I, you know, I want to say one more thing about, about personal worship, um, kind of the last 10%. Um, I really need this in my life, and I don't need it because, just because I'm a pastor. I need it because I'm a Christian. I need it just like you need it to keep everything in perspective and to keep those false realities, those other voices that are, are competing all the time, that, that, are, that are snares for us all the time, that compete with God's reality and God's voice and God's truth. I need that to keep me focused, to keep clarified what is really important and where my priorities ought to be and my direction. So... Okay, review. Weekly, weekly worship, being in church regularly, unless you're really providentially hindered, if there's a real reason. Um, your own personal time with God, carving out time. If you miss a day, not just lamenting that, just get back in it the next day. And third is small group. And the main way we do that here at 12th Avenue, or uh, the main way we do it is through our life groups. And it's kind of based on Acts 2. Is our text for that. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And God and, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I think it's a great passage that God has made us as relational beings. So we don't just come to big church on Sunday morning. Because you can get lost in big church and kind of hide by everybody and just walk out. I know that. You can do that, and you can have your personal worship, but there's something about small group where you get together with a small group of people and, and, and you study God's Word together. And you see what happens in Acts 2. It said they, they had glad hearts and sincere hearts, and they were praising God, and people were finding the Lord. It was a great thing. And we are just, we, we are ju we're just better together. We are, we are better together than doing that Lone Ranger thing, Okay? We just are. The goal of our life groups, we have two goals. One is community, and the other is content. 
community is that you get to know a group of people, you encourage each other, you challenge each other, you lift each other up when you need to, you, you speak the truth to each other when you need to do that. You need that community. And then content is, is biblically based truth that we, that we have, either through studying the Bible directly or using a Bible study that a, a gifted teacher has written and using those to help us encounter God. So again, if, if, you're, if you're lag measure, if you're wildly important goal, is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are the lead measures that will help you get there? What are some steps that you can take? Being in church, spending time with God daily, getting in a small group somewhere of other people where you can bless others and they can bless you. Those are three steps that you can take um, to be committed to. I'll give you three more next week. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. If you have questions about your next step on your spiritual journey and you'd like to chat, please call me. I'm, that's what I do. I love it. Let's pray. Father, we just ask your blessings upon your people that you would work in our lives. Give us boldness to take that next step that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.